This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Lots finished. He did nothing wrong, but the uh, jackals and sharks have circled him. He is now a uh, an albatross to the Republican agenda, if there ever is one, <laughs> we don't know. This is what racism is in America today. This is how the left operates. Now, if you turn on CNN, you'd think we still have Jim Crow laws in the country. They're having a field day with it, especially at Judy Woodmuff. Every scene, I mean, they got out the police hoses. They got the dogs from Selma, Martin Luther King, the bus. I never saw anything like this. Of course, there's no media bias. There's no liberal bias in the media. No, 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 there's no liberal bias. It's just liberal treason. No bias at all. Trent Lott whispers something at a friend's birthday party. The next thing for a week straight, police hoses, Selma, Alabama, we shall overcome. Marching, dancing, we shall overcome. You know, how many men, my, every, it's like the 60s all over again. I went and looked for my velvet pants. I looked for my old bong. I mean, nothing. It was unbelievable. Again, lot, 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 lot. No, there's no media, but not who us? Who, me, Judy Woodruff? I'm not biased. No. No, no, we're just covering the story. We shall overcome. We shall. Woof, woof, woof. Here's the police hoses. In 1964, the police hoses were brought out in Selma, Alabama, and those cracker Republicans were behind it. Let me tell you, guys like Trent Lott, we're behind those hoses. We shall overcome. Woof, woof. Here are the hoses again in case you missed it. Look, there's white men and there's poor black victims. We shall overcome. Woof, woof. Here's the hoses. No, there's no bias. Hey, Judy, Judy Woodruff, how do you get up in the morning? How do you face yourself? You're so sneaky looking. You are so sneaky looking. Why does CNN stay on the air? Why doesn't George Bush just declare it verboten, somehow put him off the put him out of business? Can can he do something with a stroke of a pen, some executive order? I'm just kidding. He can't do that. We believe in freedom of the of the uh, biased press. We believe in freedom of the biased press. Now at least I'm biased, but I admit it, Johnson. I tell you right up front, I'm an independent conservative. I don't disguise myself. But these dirty bums on the left, oh, no, we're, we, uh, the Pew Research Center proves beyond a reasonable doubt that we're not biased. We're not biased at all. Just ask us. I will tell you, we're not biased. We shall overcome. And here, boys and girls, in case you were born after 1970, are evil white Republicans spraying blacks with hoses, and there are police dogs. And look, if you look carefully, way in the background, you can see Trent Lott, even though he wasn't born. I'll be right back. Savage. I was asked to write an article on why liberals fail in talk radio and conservatives win. Why liberals fail? Well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. 
Many stories in the media have been written on this topic, but they have never explained why conservatives have such a complete grip on the talk radio market. Conservative talk radio has exploded because it is an alternative to the prevailing leftist doctrine hammered day and night by the press and television. For 20 years, liberals have complained about the unbalanced influence talk radio seems to give to the Republican Party. Now, it is true that every day millions of concerned Americans listen to or call conservative talk shows. Conservative talk show hosts largely predicted the results of the midterm elections and deserve much of the credit for the GOP's overwhelming victory. While I am myself an independent, many talk radio hosts are openly supportive of Republicans. It is the message we project, not so much the entertainment value, the family values, the patriotism, our support for the police, the military, and the traditional family. It is support for our nation's borders, for our language, and for our culture. If this message is mixed in with humor and education, you have a winner. Remember, listeners spend 5 to 15 hours a week with us. They get to know us. There is no makeup. There are no lights. They live with us, and they have to come to like us to become regular listeners. I, Michael Savage, began in ultra-liberal San Francisco on a single AM station. I now have approximately 6 to 8 million listeners a week and can be heard on over 300 radio stations nationwide. I received my PhD from the University of California at Berkeley in nutrition and epidemiology. I had written 18 books in the field of alternative medicine prior to, the, to beginning my career in talk radio. I had searched the rainforest of the South Pacific for well over 20 years, searching for cures as a leader in the field of alternative medicine. Do I fit the stereotype of the pickup truck and the shotgun that the mainstream media projects as representing conservatives? I don't think so. I and other conservative talk show hosts are passionate about saving America. We are passionate about closing our borders, preserving the English language, and preserving the common cultural values that built America. We motivate our listeners to be active in society through voting, through volunteering, and through chatting up these issues with their neighbors. Every day, millions of concerned Americans listen to or call conservative talk shows. It's the message we project, not the entertainment value. Liberals do not support the language of the land, English, as the glue necessary to keep America together. They support the Tower of Babel called multiculturalism and multilingualism. Liberals attack every significant aspect of our culture that has made America great, while conservatives continue to support the values inherent in the common culture. Now, what makes conservative listeners different? The media continues to project conservative listeners as uneducated backwoodsmen who carry shotguns in the back of their pickup trucks. While this demographic is certainly not to be underestimated, this does not explain the huge following of conservative talkers. Detailed analysis will show that listeners to AM talk radio, especially those who tune into conservatives, are generally more highly educated than the typical radio, sports, or music listener. They have a higher income, and they are thirsting for in-depth information on issues. They understand that the one-minute soundbite does not explain the whole story. By tuning into talk radio, they are getting much more in-depth analysis. These Americans care more about the issues, and they vote. Over 70% of listeners to talk radio vote. 70%. Surprisingly though, surprisingly, though, a recent industry survey showed that only 22% of listeners identify as Republican, 
13% identify as Democrat, 9% as Libertarian. The whopping majority, 51% self-identify as Independent. Liberals who have failed in talk radio have all had the same flaws, I wrote. They were too strident and sounded like Junior Lennon's. This has forced many networks and radio stations to cancel liberal shows, including those of Jerry Brown, Mario Cuomo, Jim Hightower, Alan Dershowitz, and Ed Koch. These radio stations did not cancel these hosts for political reasons. They are in business to make a profit, but the ratings and listeners were never there. What makes conservative shows different? As I said, it's the message. The silenced majority in America clearly backs conservative talkers in the war of ideas. This was clearly displayed in the last elections. Americans still see liberals as supporting the same tax and spend policies and continuously assaulting everything they believe in. The culture war inflicted upon the average American family is what it is all about. No double talk, just one man's opinion. Here it is. If um, the Democrats win, you're going to have outright communism in America. Now, it won't be called that. It'll be called uh, giving the poor a break. It'll be called uh, fairness uh, for immigrants, fairness for this and fairness for that. No matter how you package it, Hillary Clinton is a communist of the old school. If you listen to everything she says, now, of course, she's masking it with the cops and the firemen today, and, and you must give the, the, the military the guns. That's no different than the Marxists. But she wants to take your money away from you with a death tax. And the Democrats today succeeded in uh, keeping it alive. The, the Republicans, God bless them, struggled very hard today to try to knock out the death tax, which would permit you to pass on what you have worked for all your life to your children. Now, she says that guys like uh, guys making hundreds of millions of billions of dollars a year oppose the, uh, the repeal of this themselves. And she names a few. Well, you know what I say? Let them volunteer to give their money up to the government. But I don't want them speaking for me. If uh, they make $5 billion a year and they think it's fair to give it up to the government, 50% of it, God bless them. I don't make $5 billion a year. Uh, if, if they think that they want to give more to the government, let them voluntarily give more to the government. And if you want to put a cap on it, set it at $100 million and then put in your taxes. But under $100 million, uh, there should be no tax on your accumulated wealth because you've been taxed on it already. If they're going to tax it again, it's thievery of the worst order. But this is nothing new, ladies and gentlemen, the Savage Nation. If you're struggling to understand the difference between the two parties, let me give it to you now. If Al Gore or, God forbid, Hillary Clinton should ever win in an election, you're going to have affirmative action put down your throat, but it will be called something else. It will be called the Fairness for Dummies Act. If the Democrats win, you will have a United Nations tax or a world tax. If you have a Democrat victory, you will have a delegitimization of the Boy Scouts, but they will call it something else. They will call it the Fairness to Predators Act. If they win, you will have homeschooling outlawed, only they will call it the Freedom from Learning Act. Uh, they will ban or rewrite the authentic Bible as a hate book. They will force all boys who show the signs of masculinity to be given Ritalin, and they will call it the Security for Boys Act. They will completely eliminate the borders with Mexico and grant amnesty to 15 million illegal aliens who should be kicked out. And they will call it the Fairness to Latinos Act. If the Democrats win, you will have partial birth abortion and the sale of baby body parts 
or infanticide, but they will not call it that. They will call it something else. They will call it the Senior Citizen Life Extension Act. You will have increased license for Hollywood's violence and pornography, but they will call it something else. They will call it the Freedom of Arts Act. There will be socialized medicine and a national health plan. It will be called the Freedom from Bad Behavior Act. There will be the No Limits on Lawsuits Act. There will be mandatory suicide for sick seniors, but it will be called something else. It will be called the Saving Social Security Act. There will be the Fairness and Talk Radio Act, meaning the end of talk radio. There will be the end of the Electoral College and the Congressional Redistricting of America to ensure that never again will the Demon Cats be threatened, only they won't call it that. They will call it the One Dunce, One Vote Act. They will seize your guns, but they won't call it that. They'll call it the Freedom from the Second Amendment Act. And finally, if Gorleone or Hitlery Rotten Clinton wins, uh, the abolition of our existing Constitution will be complete, but it will be called something else. It will be called the Freedom from Freedom Act. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I think it was said that man is the only animal that tortures another man for fun. That in the animal kingdom, they don't torture other animals. Even if they have to eat them, they kill them and eat them. But man is the only animal that, that takes pleasure out of hurting another man. I thought that was intriguing. I think that has since proven to be untrue. I heard that when I was a little boy, when my dad, God rest his soul, we watched a movie once, God, a long time ago in the rain, uh, uh, Bring Him Back Alive with Frank Buck. That was one of the great movies of my whole life. Frank Buck was an explorer who went out and he brought him back alive. He didn't kill him, remember. He brought him back for a zoo, and that was great, you know, because no kid really wants to see the gorilla, you know, hanging on someone's wall, and no one wants to see a lion rug. Kids wanted the animal brought back alive, if brought back at all. So we loved, when I was a kid, a show called Bring Him Back Alive with Frank Buck because he brought him back alive. So I'd watch it in the rain with my dad, and he's told me all these things. It's been since proven that that's not 100% true. There are animals that torture other animals, but not many. They haven't yet lived in San Francisco and learned uh, the finer the finer niceties of uh, of existence. See what's going on in this city. I've never seen anything like this. Here you have an extremely left-wing government under Willie Brown. It's as liberal as you can get. It's to the left of Ted Kennedy, right? But it's not far enough to the left. So the radical mob gets this stooge, the district attorney Hallinan, to do their bidding... And he fires the, he brings an indictment against the police chief, the assistant police chief, five other cops, three other cops, and arrests them on charges that he knows, according to today's newspaper, will not hold up in court. He has no case to bring before a, a jury. But he tells these lunatic left-wing wacko bastards, go ahead and do it anyway, according to today's paper. This is what happens when Bolshevism takes over a city. It's a power struggle, pure and simple. It is the radical left bringing down a liberal government. The liberals didn't understand what they were doing and what they were dealing with here. 
It's terrorism. It's political terrorism. Michael Savage, now more than ever. All right, I got, I got to tell you something. You know, memories, dreams, and reflections. It's time for a dream. Many of you who follow the show regularly know that uh, I often share with you my dreams, particularly those that I feel are particularly insightful or relating to the show in some way. Well, I got to tell you, I had a doozy last night. First of all, it was a dream of paradise. I saw heaven last night. It was so... F- well, let me tell you what it is, okay? It was this. I was in a, you know, my dad's been deceased for 32 years. He died when I was very young. And uh, we were in a car together, and we were driving on a high road overlooking still waters. I looked down, and there were beautiful, slow-moving streams in large ponds with beautiful green grass. And there were birds. Remember, I was talking about birds in my show yesterday. But these were ducks. They were clearly ducks with stripes. And the ducks were beautiful flocks of ducks sitting in these calm waters and it was a series of farms that you might find in the Allegheny County of Pennsylvania or that area I would imagine. I remember them dimly from my boyhood in the East Coast. I haven't seen anything like this on the West Coast. There's a different kind of beauty. But to make a long story short, green grass, green pastures, still waters moving quietly, flocks of ducks in the water and they were all lining up, the ducks were, to go over a small water passage, almost a small flow of water down into a lower uh, a lower floor of of water. And I remember remarking that I wanted the car to stop to my dad. Could you please stop the car? I want to get out. I want to live here. And he just smiled and said, you're not home yet. You know, and I'm looking at the Bible right now, just during the break, because I do this every once in a while, and I found this. You remember this from, from grade school? Maybe you're an atheist and you're sitting there snickering, and you know God doesn't exist, and it doesn't matter to you anyway. You think you're God. Well, you can live with that, but I'll live with this. Remember this one? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You remember that one when you sat in grade school and you thought it was junk? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guideth me in straight paths for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, it just is amazing to me if that dream was not precisely Psalm 23. I'd like to know what that dream was. Borders, language, culture. A man sentenced to death for killing five restaurant workers in New York wrote a rap song. To me, it's a rape song. When you say rap, I say rape. You say rap, I say crack. You say rape, I say rap. He wrote a rape song bragging about the massacre, according to the Daily News. This is the guy who planned the robbery in which five Wendy's fast food workers were massacred. He wrote the lyrics to a rap song in which he described himself as a stick-up kid so swift you see in and out like one, two, three. Ooh, 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 that, show, that shows a certain, a certain uh, native intelligence in this youth, a, a certain creative ability that has been pent up in this minority youth who was kept down by the white society that's quite oppressive. The lyrics read in part, I said, give me the dough, you say no, no. Is it no, you said, stick some lead to your head? Guess what, punk, now you're dead. With all that blood bursting out your head, from head to toe, if you want to know, I got to go. 
That's why they got me on the world's most wanted show. Oh, 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 I'm getting excited. Hey, oh, oh, wait, hold on a minute. This is the liberal. I'm sure he'll be on Seltzer from prison. Yeah, they don't want Savage on with Borders Language and Culture. No, no, they'll take him out of the jail cell. And then the guy with the earring on uh, 60 Minutes, tick, 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 tick. He'll sit in the jail cell and ask the rape artist how he came to write the lyrics. Now, that's the media for you. They're the people who destroyed the country! You think I don't know it? You think I don't know who brought us to this low level in this country? It's the vermin in suits and the empty suits and the empty skirts. I can't take it anymore. Savage has a stethoscope on America. I want to talk about my love of ships. Because I'm going away on a very small vacation, not long, on a ship. And I've always loved ships, ever since I've been a little boy. I've been one of the... Picture me as a daguerreotype of a little boy in knickers running down to the sea to watch ships. I'm serious. I wasn't in knickers, and it was not a daguerreotype. I've always been fascinated. Let me, let me explain it. And I want to talk to you about great ships I have loved. And then I want to ask you if you have a love in life. I don't mean for a person. Don't tell me about your mother. You know, I don't know. I'm talking about objects. Can anyone love an object like me? Maybe you love a tank. I don't mean a water tank. Like, I don't know, like a Sherman. Maybe you love the Sherman tank. I love human creations. And to me, it's hard to beat, well, of course, some of the great uh, warplanes of all time. But I have no control over them. I can't go in them. But I love ships. Ever since I've been a little boy, as I said, I would go to docks and look at these giant bows, you know, sitting there. And I would imagine the rich people inside the cabins. I thought that anybody who went on a ship was rich. Of course, I didn't know that my grandfather came over here in steerage, and he was far from rich. He came over down in the lower depths of the ship. But the, the fact is, ships always had a great romance for me, and I suppose they do for most Americans and most people on Earth, even to this day. Obviously, the movie Titanic touched a raw nerve. So let me talk with you, if I may, about great ships for a few minutes in my life. I can go all the way back to early boyhood, sitting in the, driver's, the passenger seat of my father's car, going to work with him in the Lower East Side of New York, driving over the Williamsburg Bridge, which had grates in it, the roadway was open, in other words, and you could look down into the water, and it always freaked me out. I always didn't understand how a bridge held up a car. As a kid, kids can't understand the concept that cars can be you know, held up by a bridge. So I always feared the car was going to fall into the water. When I got over those fears, I looked down in the slats when I got up the nerve. And down there, remember what the, the period I'm talking about, were all of the great warships that had survived World War II, at least a good many of them. They used to come into the Brooklyn Navy Yard for repairs. And I remember seeing these gigantic aircraft carriers with the markings on them, with the scars of battle even years later. And I was just totally knocked out and in love uh, with the Brooklyn Navy Yard that I saw between the slats of the Williamsburg Bridge. But then on the other side of the bridge, this was more interesting, there were uh, sugar ships bringing in raw sugar or sugar cane from the tropics. They were the old C-1 freighters, I think. I'm talking the old C-1 freighters. I think that's what they were, with the hoists and the pulleys, and they were just rust buckets in many cases, but I saw, I saw the entire Caribbean all over them. I saw them unloading the bananas, and I saw them unloading the sugar, and my mind ran all the way to the forest tropical port. And, of course, that began my love of ships. Later on, when I could drive, I'd drive on the west side highway of New York, which faced the Hudson River. And in those days, the great passenger liners of the world would dock uh, on the west side off the Hudson River. And I'm talking about some of the most beautiful ships ever built. 
the Italian line put out a ship called the Michelangelo that to this day stands out in my mind as one of the most gracefully designed hulls uh, imaginable. Savage.